So you want to get your MBA and you've got a few questions. Well, we've got answers. Welcome to the MBA podcast, the spot for honest and actionable advice about business school. For more information, check out our site at thembapodcast.com. Now, here's your host, David O'Brien. For my fellow veterans out there, let's get into what you can do specifically to get into business school. By far, most important is to demilitarize your resume. Uh, To be clear, what I mean by demilitarize is if you say something like facilitated the acquisition of 200 million US dollars in government, um, I don't know, not sponsors, that's not how it works, but um, you know, if you're a logistics manager and you talk about how you moved or saved the military X amount of dollars, that's cool, but using a whole bunch of acronyms and all the jargon that the military is known for basically just washes over your director. So you need to demilitarize the essay, um, or excuse me, the resume and the essay. If I were to write something about ATC, right? So ATC facilitated at Shepard Rapcon the um, efficacious transport of X amount of dollars, including Air Force One, to and from the Northeast Corridor, the NE Corridor of DFW. That's all a bunch of nonsense. Um, You need to demilitarize it. So the best way to do that is use one of the free services out there. The one I'm biased towards because I volunteer for them is servicetoschool.org. It's the word service and school with the number two.org. Servicetoschool.org. You can uh, sign up there. It's completely free. Uh, Basically, it's a bunch of volunteer veterans like myself who have already been to graduate school or undergraduate if you're still looking into that. And they volunteer their time to help you apply to these schools. They have a bunch of MBAs as well, people who have successfully completed MBAs at top tier schools. And they will also do resume review for free. Now, when it comes to, so, so use that service, but when it comes to maybe more pragmatic advice, the... I mentioned this briefly in the resume episode, but I think I'll touch on it again here. You, you one, don't want to use a whole bunch of jargon, like I said, but two, you don't want to use the, the nonsense, weird resume words like facilitated or catalyzed or something like that. As a veteran, you need to lean into your leadership abilities. So don't say facilitated, say led right? Led an, led an initiative to save the government $16 million by, I don't know, um, reducing redundancies, right? That, that still sounds academic and a little bit heady, but it's not quite as completely out there, weirdly worded as some resume bullets can get. Leadership though, I cannot tell you how important that is for you as a veteran. As a quick and simple way to see if your resume is demilitarized enough, have at least someone in a different MOS or AFSC or whatever whatever you use, a different job code than you, read your resume and see if they can explain what you did. Probably more realistically, have someone who's not a veteran or not in the military, just read your resume and see if one, it makes you sound good, Two, it shows that you have a tendency to lean into leadership roles or actually take on leadership roles if you're an officer. And again, that they understand what you're saying that, you know, I I think all of us veterans have that experience where people who are not veterans think that the military is some weird, strange, completely different world. And it's actually not. It just has a whole bunch of acronyms and, you know, SOPs and stuff. 
But at the end of the day, they're still civil engineers and sanitation and refueling and food and, you know, laundry people at certain bases, um, you know, and, and administrative assistance to, to higher ranking officers. There's pretty much every civilian job exists. We just call it something differently, which kind of works against you when you're applying to business school, unless you demilitarize your resume. All right. Um, before we get into more specifics, I want to break this down uh, into three kind of different types of candidates. So we, we have the enlisted, like me, who got a degree during or after, right? You got your undergraduate degree. And just to be clear, if you are enlisted and you're thinking about MBA school, you do need a bachelor's degree first. So we have the enlisted who got their degree uh, during or after their time in service. You have officers from OTS, OCS, ROTC. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I don't think, um, I, I personally didn't see any directors really differentiate between the ROTC or OTS or OCS route. And then the third route would be the academy grads. Um, you know, whatever, you know, the, the internal opinions are of how, valuable or not valuable a service academy is, they are view very well on the uh, outside world and business school is just the same. Either way though, what you need to do is sell your leadership, right? Let's say that you're an officer, either the ROTC, OTS or academy grad. It's fairly simple, right? You are literally trained to be a leader. Just highlight that and make sure that you're using everyday words to, to tell the director how you led, what you learned about leadership, so on and so forth. You can talk about, and you want to use the, the term direct reports or just employees, if you even want to, um, how many people you actually led. And you can use huge numbers as an officer. You know, if you have, if you have five or six direct reports and underneath them is a couple hundred each, you could say you have 600 some odd reports, right? With 15 direct reports. And more importantly though, talk about if you're an officer, you were an officer, talk about two sections, your leadership ability with people, and then your leadership ability in terms of getting things done, initiatives, saving money, um, increasing operational readiness, right? And you need to come up with a, a new term for operational readiness. That one's, I would like to think fairly well understood, but I'd still err on the side of coming up with something like, you know, increased efficiency when it comes to deployment, right? Or increased or decreased the time it takes to deploy or whatever it may be. Decreases the response time to global threats. Try different wording and figure out what, what sounds the best to your civilian proofreaders. Now, if you're enlisted or prior enlisted and you got your degree, there's still a lot of leadership, obviously. If you were junior enlisted, like I was and never made NCO, you can still talk about like I was a, if you're Air Force, you'll know what this is. I was a red rope, a dorm chief, that type of stuff. So student leadership, et cetera, et cetera. You should be able to find ways during your military time, even if you were at E3 or something where you led a group, I would really encourage you to highlight that. Now, this is true for all three types, right? ROTCs or, you know, direct commissions, academy grads and enlisted who have degrees. Probably one of your strongest things that you can lean on that I encourage you to lean on is how you learned to lead from the middle. And I know that sounds weird, but assuming you're not the one off who's like an 06 applying, right? You were probably maybe max an 04, probably an 03 or below. 
and then enlisted could be anything, right? Probably, probably not a senior NCO, but even if you are, that's totally fine. What I want you to focus on is as a junior officer or whatever type of NCO, what was it like to lead with essentially people above you, you know, your colonel telling you what to do or your senior or your chief in the Air Force um, or your master sergeant telling you what to do and then having to distill that onto your actual followers. You can directly translate that into say, and I, I don't think this would be a bad idea, you could directly translate that into something along the lines of how to please shareholders while also inspiring the people below you to work towards a common goal, right? How do you inspire buy-in when let's say you're a future CFO of a company? How do you inspire buy-in from people who maybe their, their, their income, you know, at the very front lines isn't performance-based per se, that, you know, if year over year you make some gigantic return, most of your employees aren't going to get a huge bonus. The shareholders are certainly going to be very happy, but learning how to balance that, you can essentially use your time as enlisted, trying to get other enlisted to listen to you while you don't have the authority that an officer has. That's a huge skill set. Or if you're, let's say, you know, a butter bar or a, a first lieutenant and you have to interface directly with especially the, the senior NCOs, right? Use that as your leadership examples. This is really good for your resumes too. So to be clear, cause I apologize, I kind of rambled there. Let's say you're an O2, okay? And you want to discuss how you led kind of from the middle where you have a major telling you what to do. You're an O2, let's say you're the airfield commander or something. And then you have a whole bunch of air traffic controllers like me underneath you. Some of whom have been in the air force possibly longer than you've been alive. Right, you have the the chiefs, the E8s or the e, or the E9s for the chiefs in the Air Force. You might technically be leading someone who's been in the military longer than you've been alive, but they're saluting you. That's a great great leadership skill to cultivate, right? And talk about that in your resumes. Sorry, talk about that in your essays and you can break that down into bullet points in your resumes. So, the whole let me let me sum this up for you. The whole thing here is I need you to highlight your leadership, even if it's combat or air traffic control. We're still talking about leadership, and that's what schools are looking for. You need to do it in a way that is demilitarized, though. Not a whole bunch of jargon and acronyms. So, demilitarized, leaning towards leadership, and explaining how you led. Now, to be perfectly clear, though, let's say, well, yeah, let's just use air traffic control because I can talk to that world. I was going to try and use combat veterans, but I, I was not combat. Um, this still should apply though, right? So combat veterans like 11 Bravos or, or SF, you know, the 18 X's or whatever they may be. And, uh, air traffic controllers, let's say in the air force, th those jobs have pretty much nothing to do with business school. That being said, MBA schools are looking to turn you into great business leaders. What they want to see is that you've been at least working on leadership prior to business school there. If you frame it right, there is no better place to learn to lead than in the military. Now this is take this next part with a grain of salt. Okay. If it sounds, if it sounds like something that excites you, I'd encourage you to, to dive deep into it and take it on for one of your uh, essays. But if, it, if it gives you any hesitation, I would say avoid this because this is kind of a high risk, high reward thing. And what I'm getting at is this, if I were personally 
applying to a business school. And I had to use my military experience, solely my military experience, to show my leadership abilities. I would have some sort of discussion, maybe in the optional essay, about the difference between leading in the civilian world where your followers can just quit and leading in the military world where not only can your followers not quit, but it's quite literally illegal for them not to follow your orders. That is a very different type of leadership. I would talk about the awesome responsibility and how you learn to be an ethical leader in the military. And then I would tie that in to why I need an MBA from, let's say, Harvard, because I need to learn how to translate that into the civilian world where they don't just have to follow what I say because the stripes in my arm or the, the symbol, the brass that I wear is higher ranking than them. So if that sounds like something that excites you to discuss and delve deeper into, I think that would be a good spot for an optional essay or a Y MBA. All right, let's move on to networks. Um, pre-networking, you might've heard in some other episodes, I, I kind of shy away from pre-networking. Most people tend to overdo it. I would tell you as military, and I, I know this from being um, in some of these networks as well, we tend to be much more um, proactive when it comes to helping out fellow veterans that reach out for help. So you can use LinkedIn, but you can also use the school's website. Let's say it's uh, Stanford. You can look up like Stanford Graduate Business School Veterans Group. It might be closed, but it'll probably still have a contact for you there. Reach out to them, ask them to review resumes, that type of stuff. I'd say you probably only need to send out like two or three emails and you'll probably get maybe even three full responses. Uh, there's a usually a pretty good response rate. Don't get, don't get discouraged if you reach out to a veteran on LinkedIn or, or through their other channels and you don't get a response. Um, I can tell you from watching my wife go through it, MBA students are just weirdly cyclically busy. Um, they get crushingly busy and kind of some stuff falls off the map, off of the radar. So don't get discouraged. Keep, you know, maybe reach out twice at most to somebody if you really want to talk to them specifically. But I'd say, you know, reach out to three, four people, um, at least if you don't hear back three or four different people. Uh, and you, you'll be surprised how many people, uh, how many veterans are totally willing to, to go out of their way to help you get into a business school. So use the school's network. All right. Finally, big thing with the, um, with being a veteran is how do you pay for school? So most schools that I know of have the yellow ribbon program. So you can use your GI bill. If you don't have the GI bill, um, still talk with their veteran services department. Most schools, to be clear, will have a veteran department that is separate of the of the business school, meaning um, I haven't actually looked, but well, let's actually use Chicago, right? If you use Chicago Booth and you're a veteran, you'll go through the University of Chicago's veteran um, office. Like Booth doesn't specifically, each individual college, you know, the School of Medicine doesn't usually have their own separate veterans scholarship sort of area. It's usually just the general overall school that you'll use the veteran network of. Um, they will be able to talk to you about certifying you for your monthly payments to get your credits paid for, so on and so forth. Um, I can tell you if you have 100% of the GI Bill, usually Yellow Ribbon Program will make your MBA free as long as you have enough, um, enough months left on the GI Bill to pay for it. Most cases we have, uh, especially for you academy grads, um, I'm going to butcher this, but I think 
most of you after your commitment have something like 70% or after your initial commitment have something like 70% of the GI Bill left. I, I, th I still think you can use the yellow, yellow ribbon program, keep applying um, for external scholarships. There's quite a few out there. Usually I would just go through the school's website again. Um, I wouldn't just Google scholarships that can just lead to an overwhelming amount of choices. But more importantly, 70% um, scholarship or 70% GI Bill, 100% GI Bill, whatever it may be, still ask for a scholarship. Even if you don't get one, still ask for a scholarship. If you get the feeling and you want to include in there that, you know, you, you get the feeling that, oh, they probably know I have the GI Bill and that it's 100% paid for. I was actually in my, and this is a, a singular experience, right? So don't extrapolate this too far. But in my experience where I worked, very few people, very few of the directors knew about the GI Bill and that it could pay for your MBA outright. So I'm not, if you don't get a scholarship, I don't necessarily think it's because you know, the, the directors are sitting back. They're like, Oh, he's a veteran. He must be able to pay for it hundred percent with a GI bill. Either way, if you want to mention it, especially if you are one of those officers, that's got the 70% or anybody that has less than hundred percent, feel free to mention that in a scholarship, you know, explain that, that, you know, you, you can even talk about how, even if you were an Oh three or an Oh four, comparatively that level of responsibility being a captain or a major in the military makes exponentially less money per month than their civilian counterpart of whatever they would be doing. And you can mention that, you know, that, Hey, super happy to get into Chicago booth, but I'm really looking for a, a scholarship because as much as I love the U S military and am proud of my time serving there, it didn't do much for my savings account. And I don't have the full GI bill or even with the full GI bill, you know, Chicago is a very expensive city, so on and so forth. Don't be afraid to explain that you're not flush with cash and that even with a GI bill, you still could use more help. Um, so please ask for more money. Now, as a general final sentiment, can you and should you apply to the top tier schools? Yes. And I'm going to go ahead and just be military here. If there's any doubt in your head about a, you know, shitty undergrad GPA or it, you're like me and it took you 10, 11 years to get your bachelor's because you were just, you know, well for me, you know, enlisted and then disabled, but whatever the reason may be, I got a crappy university of Phoenix undergraduate that took me 10 years and I only had like a 3.2 at the end of it. And I still got into a prestigious competitive writing program at a private university in Colorado for graduate school. Trust me, trust me, military wise, the GPA, things like that matter way less. Now I want you to call it out though. Okay. I'm going to give you an example. So I was reading, I read, if you've listened to some of my other ones, you might have heard some of my other episodes. You might've heard me explain that usually you were read by multiple directors. Now I wasn't a director. I was a manager just to level set there, but we, we both clicked accept or deny on resumes or uh, excuse me on applications. I read after a certain gentleman who I eventually had to interface with him and kind of get him up to speed on how the military works. Here's the reason why. Um, if he, I read everybody that this gentleman denied, let's call him Bill. So Bill denies this guy. He's a veteran. And this he was an 18 Delta that's a special forces medic enlisted, if you're unfamiliar with it. 
um, huge ops tempo. He was active duty, you know, deployed all the time, so on and so forth. It took him something like seven, eight years to get his undergraduate degree. And it was, I, I don't know, some no name online degree. Still actually got a, a decent GPA, like a 3.3 or something. I had to meet with this director because this director legitimately denied or recommended for a deny this candidate because in his own words, this director said, it took this person too long to get their bachelor's degree and I questioned their academic abilities. In my head, I'm like, dude, it's a 18 Delta. That's by far the most heady of all the special forces. By the way, it's still special forces. By the way, it's enlisted, super high ops tempo. Right. I mean, OIF, OEF, all this type of stuff. Um, just, just, it completely missed the point. The fact that this person completed a bachelor's degree while, while I was going to say full time, while active duty in the military was bonkers. The fact that his MOS was what it was, was even crazier. There was no way in my head that Bill, the director who recommended this candidate for denial, uh, understood what he was saying. Turns out when I ended up chatting with Bill, he was a little bit horrified um, at what he had done. Now, on the flip side, when I look back at this, right, I, I was a little bit, I'd say, overzealous in trying to protect my fellow veterans because at the end of the day, what this gentleman had missed, the applicant, the 18 Delta, was demilitarizing his stuff enough. Still, at the end of the day, I don't really blame him. You spend, you know, your, your, 20s doing special forces work in the military, you might not, I don't know. It's why I'm creating a podcast like this, right? To help you out there avoid this same mistake. What this 18 Delta had missed was demilitarizing his resume and then really giving anything of value with his essays. His essays were decent. They were generic. It kind of felt like he, uh, he probably had used a consultancy because it was very much, you know, I aimed to catalyze my blah, 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 you know, all the, all the keywords of, um, you know, facilitate equitable leadership and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there, there's, there was just it, so much was missing there. And I know certainly for certain jobs and it's not just a special forces or special operations job. Plenty of you guys out there can't talk about some of the stuff you did in the military. There's always ways to discuss that. And literally you could just point to it be like, Hey, I have a TS clearance. I can't talk about this. So I'm going to give you an analogy of what I did. It's totally fine. Probably actually make the, the director all wide eyed and, um, you know, really impressed with your application. Anyway, back to bill and this military gentleman. Uh, if you're wondering, he, that 18 Delta did get into the school where I worked, but he actually ended up going to a different school. I, I followed his application. He still got into an M seven and good for him. But the mistake there was he didn't make himself an easy yes for the director right? That's what I want you to do. Regardless of what your background is, you need to explain in simple words why what you did helped you become the leader that you are today. So at the end of the day, even if you have, let's say a combat job whose side job is being a medic, neither of which really lends itself to business school and you were enlisted, you still have an amazing shot of getting into, and you took eight years to get your bachelor's degree you still have a great shot at getting into a business school. So like I said earlier, I'm going to go a bit military here. This is my advice, regardless of if you're like me and you have a crappy university of Phoenix undergraduate degree, or let's say you're a 
Harvard undergrad that commissioned after that and now is coming back and applying to Harvard again, whatever. When it comes to should you apply to the M7 schools? Yes. If you have any doubt, I would tell you to shut up and color. Okay. Just apply. Trust me. Just be a little bit arrogant. Do whatever it takes. Please apply. These schools are looking for military candidates. They do not get enough applicants, especially if you're enlisted. If you're enlisted and you have a degree, apply to these top tier schools. Please just get over your self-doubt and insecurity. Shut up in color. Make the applications. Submit them. Apply. Really, I would tell you if you're a veteran, apply to the top 10 schools as just that's your cutoff. Okay. Work on your resume and really work on kicking butt with your essays. And I think you'll be surprised how much your 2.8 GPA doesn't really matter that much because at the end of the day, while, you know, Billy, uh, I'm so bad with names. <laughs> we have Bill, the director, and then Billy, the hypothetical student. Instead of, you know, being 18 or 19 or 20 and drinking your way through college and getting an okay GPA, you were serving your country as an enlisted soldier right? Or Marine or sailor or airman or whatever they call the space force, spacemen, space women, space people. I don't know, whatever. Trust me, most directors, while they won't understand all the jargon, while they won't understand your leadership abilities, unless you clearly explain it to them, all of the directors do understand that serving in the military is just a completely different life than the traditional 18 to 22. You got an undergraduate degree you worked for a consulting agency. And then when you're 27, you apply to an MBA school. So don't worry about being a non-typical applicant, lean into the fact that you're not typical and you can bring a great perspective to the MBA. All right. So if you have any specific, well, any, any questions whatsoever, but any veteran specific questions as well, uh, if you're on Spotify, you can actually just type in a, uh, a response or do you have any questions about this episode? But if you're listening on anything else, feel free to go to the mbapodcast.com and shoot me a message. Let me know what else I can answer if I need to cover more stuff with, with veterans, um, related to getting into business school. But again, please, seriously, I, I probably you'd be surprised. I do not care how bad you think your background is. If you do it right, you're probably a good, good candidate for at least the top 10 schools. So apply. You could definitely do this. All right. We will talk soon.